Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. changing. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, January 25th, 2013. This week episode 271 comes to you from Studio D in Central City, snowy Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Joining me in the studio is our engineer Roxy V, Val Bender. Hi Joe, hi everyone. And coming to us from beautiful McKee's Rocks at Studio C is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Yeah, we got snow here too, Joe. It's coming down. And it's an all-Pittsburgh show today. Uh, we've got today, uh, today's segments will include, of course, our IAQ Radio trivia question, an interview with Dr. Janet Stout. She's also in the Pittsburgh area. Here we're going to talk Legionella issues and answers. Today we'll have our halftime, of course. The Roundup will bring in another Pittsburgher, Dr. Dietrich Wow, our technical director for the Roundup. But before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, to listen to the show, you can stream from our website, iaqradio.com. Just scroll down, click on the show number, you're ready to go, or you can download shows. There's a button that says Go to Show. That will take you to the Talk Shoe site where you can either stream or download shows, and of course, you can get shows from iTunes. Don't forget, we also have continuing education credits available for ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you out of quiz. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) 
win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submit your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com. Or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Well, Joe, last week uh, was only the second time in our 270 episodes that we had a photo finish. We actually had a tie. Huh. Congratulations. to The cheer came in a little early. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Congratulations to dual winners, Doug Conan from Dayton, Ohio and John Lapotier, MicroShield Environmental Services, Winter Springs, Florida, for being the first listeners to answer the trivia question, correctly identifying Earl Warren as the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, who also served as a governor of the state of California. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, January 25, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website at www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. What's in a name? Name the two coincidental events that resulted in the coining of a bacterial infection known as Pontiac fever. Back to you, Joe. All right. We've got Dr. Janet Stout. She's the director of Special Pathogens Laboratory and a research associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh's Swanson School of Engineering in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. A clinical and environmental microbiologist, Dr. Stout is internationally recognized for more than 30 years of pioneering research in Legionella. Credited as the first to demonstrate the link between Legionnaire's disease and the presence of Legionella in hospital water systems, her seminal discovery in 1982 shifted the focus from cooling towers to water distribution systems as the primary source for Legionnaire's disease. This changed the direction of the research and expanded the water treatment industry's approach to controlling Legionella. Since then, Dr. Stout has evaluated every major Legionella disinfection technology used today. As an advocate for prevention, she was instrumental in developing the first U.S. prevention strategy for hospital-acquired Legionnaire's disease in 1993. Later, that was adopted by the Veterans Health Administration and others. The guideline continues to serve as a national model for Legionella prevention. In addition to her numerous research articles published in major medical and scientific peer-reviewed publications, she co-authors the Legionella chapter in Hospital Epidemiology and Infection Control, Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine, and the Manual of Clinical Microbiology. She's also active in scientific and professional associations. Dr. Stout serves on the Legionella Standard Committee for the Cooling Technology Institute and also for ASHRAE. I'll be interested in how that's coming along. Their committee is for Legionella Guideline 12 and their proposed ASHRAE Legionella Standard. We've got some intro music for Dr. Stout. Elderly coming with canes, pneumonia, but there's no gram stain. You silver stain, charcoal, and cysteine will help it grow. You've got to catch it at the door. Temps could reach a hundredfold. Because. 
When the old timers get together, then they're all under the weather. Then I'll order chest x-rays, I'm bilateral pneumonia, then save the day. They all caught it from the water, and they can't infect each other. So you can't catch my Legionella, no you really wanted that Legionella. Ella, Ella, eh, 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 sorry about Legionella. Ella, Ella, eh, 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 but enjoy your Klebsiella. Uh, Cliff, I don't know where you come up with these sometimes. Thank you. Hello, Dr. Stout. We have you on the line. Hey, hi. Uh, that was fantastic. I love that. Can I get a copy of that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, no problem. I'll tell you where to get it. No problem. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. And it will sound even better on the recording. It's On the phone, these don't come out as well, but on our recording, it's beautiful. All right, let's, let's get started. What got you interested in Legionella? We talked a little bit about this, and, and what is Legionella, I guess, for those that aren't familiar? Uh, well, uh, first, I want to thank you for uh, having the opportunity to be with you and your listeners today. Uh, I got involved in the study of Legionnaires' disease in 1980 when I went to the Graduate School of Public Health here at the University of Pittsburgh to study infectious disease microbiology. And as a graduate student, uh, you look for a mentor and a project that interests you. And it just so happened that uh, Dr. Victor Yu, the infectious disease physician at the Pittsburgh VA, was investigating an outbreak of pneumonia in the patients at the hospital, and that pneumonia was caused by Legionella bacteria. And uh, so Legionella is a bacteria that's found uh, commonly in warm water systems of uh, various types, and that bacteria, if it gets into the lung of the right type of person, uh, can cause a very severe form of bacterial pneumonia. Now, is Dr. Yu, did I read, I believe I read an article that you two still work together, is that accurate? Yes, Dr. Yu is a, a full professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, and um, as you said in the introduction, I'm both the director of the Special Pathogens Laboratory and a member of the faculty at Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. So Dr. Yu is also the medical director of the Special Pathogens Laboratory. So yes, we continue to work together. I see. Um, because I I got the idea, well, I actually had tried to get you once before, but I think I had emailed the wrong person. And then I saw a recent article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette about some issues we've had here locally at the uh, VA hospital, I believe it was. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's get the background together now. Do, do all species of Legionella cause Legionnaire's disease? Um. Well, the first thing I want to say is your microbiology IQ, uh, uh, Cliff and Joe, is much higher than most people. So when you talk about species of bacteria, the way that I like to talk about it is if you can imagine in your mind a family tree, and the family of Legionella bacteria is called Legionella ACE, and there are over 50 members or 50 species of that family, and what I always tell people is that, uh, you know, don't sort of get panicky. You have to know all of them. Really, the one that causes uh, the most illness, and I call it the black sheep of the Legionella family, is Legionella pneumophila serogroup 1. And that species of Legionella causes 80 to 90% of all reported cases of Legionnaire's disease worldwide. Uh, now, what about the other members of the family, the other species? Well, historically, about half of them have been linked to disease, 
and the other half have just been found in the environment. So all of them are not equal with regard to their ability to cause illness in humans. So we got the bad Uncle Tom. He's in the the Sierra Group One, Pneumophila Sierra Group One. Is that like a strain of Pneumophila, or? Well, again, another level of the family tree. Then you go from Legionella to Legionella Pneumophila, and then below that is another subdivision called Sierra Group or Sierra Type. And for Legionella Pneumophila, there are fifteen that have been identified. But again, Sierra Group One, which is the one that was started the whole thing after the 1976 outbreak at the American Legion Convention at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel. It was serogroup 1, Legionella pneumophila, that caused that infection, so that's why it's number one. Okay, that, that clears a lot up for me. Thank you. All right, Cliff? Well, uh, one follow-up question. Uh, what type of bacteria is it? Is gram-positive, gram-negative? It's a gram-negative bacteria. Okay, good. All right, um, what raised your suspicion that Legionella was spread throughout water systems? Well, that takes us back to the early 1980s, and I started studying Legionella with Dr. Yu in 1980, which was only three years after Legionella had been named as the cause of the outbreak at Bellevue Stratford Hotel. Um, when Dr. Yu started investigating these cases of pneumonia in the veterans at the Pittsburgh VA, it was in the wintertime. Uh, so there was no cooling tower, uh, which is a water-based cooling system, as you know. Uh, there was no cooling tower operating at the time that these people were getting ill. Uh, so there must have been some other source. And uh, we knew that it had been identified in the water of uh, evaporative cooling systems. So that pointed us to water. The problem at the time was that there was a, it was very difficult to grow this bacteria in the laboratory. And in fact, my early studies, we were injecting guinea pigs uh, interperitoneally with water to try and isolate Legionella from the harvested spleens of those guinea pigs. So that was most unpleasant uh, for us students and, and certainly very much so for the guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. Luckily, in collaboration with other microbiologists at the University of Pittsburgh, we were able to develop a, an antibiotic, antibacterial culture medium that allowed us to put water on that plate, a culture plate, and grow Legionella. And that really was a major turning point and, and helped us to evaluate the water system at the hospital as a source. And when we did that, uh, we found lots of Legionella bacteria all through the warm water system of the hospital. Hmm. Now, when this originally was discovered in, in 76, was it was the organism known but just na- not named at that point in time, or was this a, a brand-new discovery at that point in time? The uh, Legionella bacteria, uh, when the outbreak occurred in 1976 at the American Legion Convention, uh, Legionella bacteria were unknown, and they had uh, never been identified. They had never been cultivated in a laboratory. So the investigators at the Centers for Disease Control um, in Atlanta had a a very mysterious situation on their hands, all of these people becoming ill, uh, over 150 of them approximately, and then 34 of them subsequently uh, dying of the pneumonia. And so it was a very, very tense situation. And all of these microbiologists set about to try and figure out what was causing this infection. 
and ultimately they were able to, using uh, techniques for another organism called rickettsia, they were able to find Legionella bacteria, see them, and then develop media to grow them. So that was the first time we actually had Legionella in our hands. Well, the question is, was that the first time that Legionella bacteria ever caused infection? So the investigators at CDC went back to their freezers where they had specimens from people that had strange pneumonias dating back to the 1940s. And they took that lung material and put it on this newly developed culture media, and lo and behold, Legionella grew. So it's not, it was not a new organism. It was a newly identified organism that had been there but we just couldn't find it. How is the pneumonia from the Legionella different from other... It, it sounded like you said that was somewhat different type of pneumonia. How is that different? Well, interestingly, and what's a challenge for physicians when they see a person with Legionnaire's disease, it's pneumonia. And so the symptoms of Legionnaire's disease are high fever, cough. About 20% of the patients will have diarrhea. Well, to a physician, those are symptoms of any type of bacterial pneumonia. So you can't tell that it's Legionnaire's disease based on how they present with their symptoms. The physician has to order special diagnostic testing, which is a urine test for detecting the antigen of Legionella in the urine, or culture of the respiratory secretions to actually grow the bacteria. Then you can uh, determine that it's Legionella bacteria causing that pneumonia. Hmm. That's fascinating to me because I've I had Leeds I had pneumonia four times when I was very young prior to all this 1976 stuff, and I'm just wondering if you know there isn't some chance that maybe I had Legionella. I, you know, I, is that possible? Well, we're going to say that you were a young child at that time. How about that? Okay. <laughs> and uh, and so children can get Legionnaire's disease, but typically they have some kind of underlying illness uh, that may uh, compromise their immune system. So of the variety of causes of pneumonia in, in that age group, it was probably less likely that it was Legionella, assuming you were a very healthy young person. Yeah, I was fairly healthy. Okay, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Just to follow up on that, I wanted to say that one of the misconceptions, and, and before we came on air we were talking about uh, you know, kind of clearing up some misconceptions. One of the misconceptions that many people have is they think that Legionnaire's disease only affects people that have compromised immune systems. And what we've learned, and we did a study with the Allegheny County Health Department here in western Pennsylvania, and others have done similar studies. But what we learned was about 22 to 25 percent of all the reported cases of Legionnaire's disease in the community are in people that don't have the typical risk factors for Legionnaire's disease, which are, uh, you know, some sort of so, some sort of immunosuppression, uh, corticosteroid use, uh, smoking, diabetes, cancer, uh, that sort of thing. So the quote-unquote normal individual really makes up almost a quarter of all reported cases. Now, is this a bacteria that once you inhale it and it's in your, your body, is it, is it like, um, like the, the viruses that you have forever? Uh, no, the, once, you, once the Legionella bacteria gets into your body and gets a stronghold for whatever reason and goes on to, to cause pneumonia, uh, you 
you, some people actually uh, recovered without appropriate antibiotic therapy, and this was observed in the American Legion outbreak, but they do far better, obviously, if they get the right antibiotic, which really should be, um, there are two classes of antibiotics. One's uh, a macrolide, which would be something like azithromycin, and the other is a quinolone that would be something like levofloxacin. And if appropriate therapy is started early, uh, most recover just fine. If it started late, uh, then the mortality rate or the chance of dying from this infection is disproportionately high compared to other bacterial pneumonias. In the community, about 20% of those infected will die of the infection. And if you're unfortunate enough to get it in the hospital while you're there for something else, the mortality can be as high as 40%. Now, I want to clear up another, what I think may be a misconception, but I'm not sure. And since I've got someone who knows here, let's ask the question. The the 1976 outbreak was blamed on a cooling tower. Have we ever determined, at least I've seen that attributed, you know, to a cooling tower. Have we ever determined for certain that that was the cause? Um, The the scientific answer is not exactly. Uh, And this is what I mean by that. When they were investigating that outbreak, we were unable to grow the organism. So, so Legionella bacteria will, were never recovered from the water in the cooling tower. Uh, so a direct link was never made. An indirect link was made epidemiologically. And what that means is that the investigators from the CDC did a case control study. So they took the people that got sick and they matched them up as best they could with people that didn't get sick and asked the question, where were they and what did they do? And there was a significant association with being in a particular location at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel. And in order for that many people in one location to get ill, the uh, hypothesis was that it was transmitted via the air. And they looked at the cooling tower and they, you know, they identified that there were some abnormalities in the way the cooling tower was operated. And so that's how the connection with air transmission from a cooling tower was hypothesized. But the direct link, finding Legionella in that water, was never made. Okay, so as I understand it, the hypothesis was that that the cooling tower was too close to an air intake that went to the the fresh air for the HVAC system. That was the hypothesis. Correct. Okay, great. This is fascinating. Uh, Cliff, I, I don't want to dominate this one. Go ahead. Yeah, Doc, I've had a question uh, that has been on, on my mind for quite some time. How or can you speculate or better than that? How does the organism enter a closed hot water system? Well, I don't have to speculate um, okay. on that, Cliff. Uh, we've we and others have done studies and. and Here's what people really don't know, I think, is that this bacteria is a naturally occurring bacteria in our natural water sources like rivers and lakes, and it's been demonstrated to be there in very, very low numbers. That water goes over to the water treatment plant, and Legionella bacteria compared to other bacteria are more resistant to the effects of chlorine, so it survives um, uh, both naturally and actually within other organisms called amoeba, uh, survives that water treatment process, you know, sort of flows down the pipe, down to your building, and in the makeup water to the cooling tower or the cold water supply to the building, Legionella comes in in very, very low numbers, almost undetectable. And at those numbers and at those temperatures, 
it's really not a disease risk. But when that water goes into a system where the temperature warms up close to body temperature and the organic material builds up, you know, some of the sediment and materials are food sources for bacteria, including Legionella, and other bacteria grow there alongside of it, which uh, Legionella likes to uh, grow with. Uh, that becomes an environment where Legionella numbers increase dramatically and gets disseminated through a water system. All those faucets and showers and things, um, now Legionella is coming out of the hot water from that fixture. Thank you. We've, we've got a quick text question. Uh, you, you mentioned that it was it's found in lakes and et cetera. What about in um, in the soil or in composting piles? There's a member of that Legionella family that we talked about uh, that has been found in um, composting-type soil. And uh, it's very common in Australia, for example, but very rare uh, in North America. I see. Okay, he's got a second question. Legionella longbiti. We will we will get to that um, re- how to uh, prevent this in, in a little later in the show. So I just want to let the listener know that. Okay, so we've got it in these closed water systems. I'm curious, how often do we find it in these closed water systems? Well, the surveys that have been done and reported in the literature, and we've done a number of them uh, over the years. Uh, it differs by system. So, for example, because we, we started out studying Legionnaires' disease in hospitals, we did surveys of other hospitals and found Legionella in the water distribution system of about half of them. So large, complex water systems with hot water recirculating systems, about half of them will have Legionella bacteria in them. And then we asked the question, can you get Legionnaires' disease from home? So we did a survey of of over 200 homes in the Pittsburgh area, and other investigators have done similar studies, and we found the percentage to be much less, much lower, only about 15 to 20 percent did we find Legionella in home water systems. And so those simpler, um, you know, less complex systems uh, appear to be less prone to Legionella colonizing those systems. Hot, I'm sorry, cool, cooling towers that have warm water in them, uh, most people say about 30% of those are, are positive, but that's a little bit of a biased sampling because that estimate comes from samples that come into the laboratories that are doing testing of cooling tower water, and that those people that are sending those samples are being proactive, so that's kind of a biased group. They're really doing a better job of, of monitoring and controlling Legionella bacteria in their systems, and they're sending samples into spot check. So it probably is a higher percentage within cooling tower water. Now I've got. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to follow up actually on the houses that were surveyed in Pittsburgh. You said approximately 200, and I'm not sure whether you know the answer to this or not. But you, you said that 15 or 20 percent of these houses. Uh, the organism was found. You know, in Pittsburgh, we have a variety of different types of heating systems. We have forced air, and, you know, we also have hot water or steam-type systems. Does the type of heating system uh, that's in a home uh, make it more prone or less prone to having Legionella, or do you know? Um, the, The... The place that people get exposed to Legionella at home is the water system, not the heating system. 
So it's not the, um, you don't have to worry about your, your forced air or any of that. So what you want to be concerned about uh, is look, if you're going to look for Legionella, you look for it in the warm water system. You take samples from the uh, from the bathroom faucet, hot water, or the shower from the bathroom or the kitchen. That's how we do testing in a home for Legionella. And your your point is well taken, though, because how that water is warmed up, the type of hot water tank does make a difference on whether or not Legionella is more likely to be there. And what I mean by that is gas-fired heaters, where the gas and the flame is applied directly to the bottom, we're less likely to have Legionella in that water than tanks that were heated with electrical elements, some of which were above the bottom of the tank, creating a zone of a low temperature. So it's really the temperature of the water and certain types of heating uh, creates, you know, water within that tank that's in an optimal temperature, which is near body temperature. Now, I want to get one more in before halftime here. I had, I'm had i on a, this LinkedIn group. Uh, there's American Industrial Hygiene Association, and one of the folks on that group was being uh, approached about testing their cooling tower quarterly for Legionella. And he was asking, is there any guidance available out there for how often this should be done or if it should be done at all? And I thought, well, you've got the person on today that we can ask, so let's throw it out to her. Okay. Well, that suggestion of sampling a cooling tower that's operating, you know, all year quarterly is a good one. Uh, you'll find recommendations like that uh, from the American uh, Water uh, Technologies Group. That's a, a group of water treatment professionals. Uh, there's, so there's actually a position paper on Legionella uh, from the AWT. Uh, another group that you can go to for information on Legionella is the Cooling um, uh, CTI, the Cooling Technology Institute. Uh, they have guidance on Legionella. And most of, uh, even ASHRAE, and, and we'll probably talk a little bit about ASHRAE's proposed standard uh, and they're updating their guideline 12, but You'll, you'll have guidance in there that says uh, if you want to check how effective the water treatment is, uh, testing for Legionella is appropriate. If I have limited resources and I'm a building manager, do I spend them on testing the cooling tower first or the hot water system first? I think the answer to that would be it depends on the building that you're in. Certainly if you're in a healthcare facility, the majority of cases are transmitted by exposure to the water in the warm water system coming out throughout the building. So you really want to be proactive and protect those patients uh, that are at high risk and determine whether or not Legionella is present in the building. As I said before, it's a 50-50 chance. Hmm. Interesting. Let's go to, uh, we've got to take a halftime break, thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Dr. Janet Stout. We're talking Legionella issues and answers, and it's a fascinating subject. Val? Thanks to our association sponsors, 
The National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, welcome back. This is Radio Joe Hughes with Dr. Janet Stout. We're talking Legionella today on IAQ Radio, and I'm, I'm curious. We, we were talking about where it's found, et cetera. And I've got some text questions I need to get to, too, but I've got one quick one before we move on to you know how we, how we prevent, and I know that's one of your big, uh, you know, one of the things you emphasize is prevention. What about shower heads? I, I've heard that they can harbor uh, bacteria. I'm wondering, do they harbor the, the Legionella bacteria? Well, that's a great question. And uh, shower heads and showering have been looked at extensively as, you know, is the act of showering in itself uh, a significant risk factor for getting Legionnaire's disease. And your listeners might be interested to know that when case control studies were done to look at that question, it turned out that showering was not a risk factor. And these studies were done in hospitals, and the patients that got Legionnaire's disease were too sick to shower. So that's another one of those misconceptions um, that showering is so significant in the transmission of Legionnaire's disease. Uh, certainly, shower heads, just like faucets, uh, of various types have Legionella in them. So here's the concept. The Legionella is in the water. It goes through the pipe to a fixture, and anywhere there's water in a surface, bacteria attach. And it's not just Legionella. It's many, many different types. And they form a slimy, sticky substance called exopolysaccharide that traps nutrients, and, and you get a slime layer. And the fancy name for that is biofilm. Well, Legionella can be found in that material in a shower head, just like other bacteria. So it's not particular to shower heads. Uh, Legionella is found in significant numbers in faucets of various types. So there's uh, really nothing special about a shower head. It's just 
uh, another place where the bacteria can accumulate and multiply. Cliff? Um, what happens if, you know, for instance, a home would be for sale? Um, and, you know, the home is vacant, um, and, you know, certainly the water heater is left on. Um, is there anything special that you would recommend, you know, in the event the system, um, you know, hadn't been used for a while? Um, what I would recommend, and, and lots of times I always use that as a measure, measuring stick for anybody's area of expertise, what would they do and right. what would I do? Um, we know that you can do basically a version of the superheat and flush procedure that's done in hospitals and large buildings. You can do the same thing in your own home. But the tricky part is that when you turn your hot water tank at home up to its maximum setting, you don't go much over 140 or so degrees, and that's a set point that's there uh, as a safety uh, precaution. Well, in a in doing a traditional heat and flush, you really want to be hotter than that, uh, like 160 degrees. But you can you can kill Legionella at 140 or 150. And what you do is you open up the fixtures, the faucet and the shower, and you probably have to do this one at a time because you're going to go through that hot water pretty quickly. And you run a pencil-thin flow of water, that very, very superheated water, through that fixture. And that's going to really uh, reduce the amount of Legionella in the system. As far as other prevention techniques, I, I've got a text question, so I'd like to start with that one because it kind of starts at, at the source. Do municipal water system, water treatment plants disinfect for Legionella? The, the water treatment at the municipal plant uh, typically uses chlorination to control pathogens in our water. They do not and are not required to test for Legionella. And the EPA rules pretty much state that the assumption that's made is that the water treatment that's applied, which is a combination of a disinfectant like chlorine and filtration, would sufficiently control Legionella. And so no, there's no special prevention done at the municipal plant or testing uh, for Legionella. Now, as I said before, we know that Legionella survives through that water treatment process and, and becomes a problem when it gets into our building water systems. Uh, but when that pipe crosses into your building, uh, the water coming into your building is now your responsibility, and the quality of that water uh, depends on what happens within your building. So let's talk a little more about prevention. And, and I've got another text question. I'll just knock it out right here. How effective is UV, ultraviolet light, in helping to minimize any risk with uh, Legionella? Ultraviolet light will kill Legionella. Uh, the, the, uh, the effect of the light is just right at that unit. So any water going through that, that chamber where the light is applied, bacteria, Legionella, uh, are reduced. But what I want you to think about is that in a water distribution system or a cooling tower, there's tremendous surface. There's lots of pipes. So downstream of that ultraviolet unit, there's no protection. So it's a good thing to apply, and certainly I've recommended it in some applications where you could put it on the water going into the building or on the recirculating hot water to help reduce it. But you really need, if you're going to be doing uh, disinfection for Legionella, you really need to have something in the water as a residual disinfectant that can be distributed throughout the system 
to have a significant effect at reducing Legionella. Okay, so let's get into more prevention. Give us Dr. Stout's top, uh, I don't know, three, five, whatever it is, for prevention of Legionella in buildings. Well, the, the issue that's near and dear to my heart is, is healthcare facilities. While we know that Legionella can be in other buildings, the, the population at risk um, is healthier, so the risk of getting disease is less. So let's talk about healthcare facilities first. In Allegheny County, Western Pennsylvania, back in 1993, uh, the Allegheny County Health Department under Bruce Dixon uh, followed the experience that we had at the VA in Pittsburgh and implemented a guideline for healthcare facilities. So the first question is, is Legionella a risk to my patients? Uh, and the first step is to test your water. And the recommendation in the guideline is find 10 outlets that roughly represent the water distribution system, sample uh, either swab or water from those outlets, and determine whether or not Legionella is there. If it's not there, the risk is obviously low or none. And if it is there, is it there in a significant proportion of those outlets? And in the Allegheny County guideline, that's greater than 30%. Well, that approach was adopted by VA hospitals nationwide in 2008, and I think it's a very good approach to apply to any healthcare facility. So once you find out whether Legionella is there or not, the question is, has it caused illness? And as I said before, sometimes it's hard to tell whether those pneumonias have been caused by Legionella. If there's a single case that has been identified, then you need to consider disinfection. So now you're at the place where you're going to do something to control the Legionella bacteria in your water system. That's going to prevent exposure to this bacteria and subsequently then prevent illness. So the most important thing is to determine if Legionella is present in that building or the cooling tower. If it is, uh, apply appropriate disinfectant um, and that way you prevent illness from occurring. Now... There are different methods of disinfection, as I understand it. Can you review some of the pros and cons on that? Sure. Well, very early on uh, in our experience at the, at the hospital, we had to implement something to get rid of Legionella in the water system because we were having, I think Dr. Yu said there were over 100 cases uh, in a, a three- to five-year period there. Well, So the first uh, disinfection approach that we used was the heat and flush, elevated to hot water temperature, flushing all the outlets with 160 to 170 degree water, and that was effective at reducing Legionella. Legionella will come back if you don't have a continuous disinfectant available. So that was the first thing that we did. We also looked at hyperchlorination where you're adding extra chlorine. Uh, that is problematic in that byproducts of chlorine are carcinogenic. It's certainly effective at reducing Legionella and other bacteria. But as I mentioned before, the, the amount of chlorine you have to put in the water has to be higher than normal, and that causes corrosion. So chlorine works, but there's a downside to it. Uh, the next system that became available was something called copper-silver ionization, which are copper and silver bars that electricity are, are passed across, and the ions of copper and silver are put into the hot water recirculating system. And that's the system that was put in uh, here in Pittsburgh at the VA and then many other hospitals within the uh, Pittsburgh area are using the same system. Uh, very effective, only applied to the hot water system. Now, the, the next one that came down the pike was chlorine dioxide. 
uh, also effective, but if you put chlorine dioxide in hot water, it starts to break down into its byproducts, so maintaining a residual in hot water can be challenging. We mentioned ultraviolet light certainly has a place. It's used in conjunction with other uh, systemic disinfectants like chlorine or chlorine dioxide. And then we recently did a study here in Pittsburgh uh, with a, a new system called uh, monochloramine generation, which is a chemi- chemical that's used in water treatment plants, and we found that to be very, very effective. So that was the first trial in the United States of a monochloramine generation system. I, I don't think you mentioned ozone. Is, is ozone used in the, for this purpose? Um, ozone has been tried in cooling towers. Um, the problem with ozone is not that it's ineffective as a disinfectant, but it's so hyperreactive that it dissipates very quickly. So if you had a confined space and you could maintain an adequate residual of ozone, that would be fine. But when you apply it in a large cooling tower or a water distribution system, you really can't maintain a sufficient residual. Dr. Stout, when they're using some sort of residual in the system, whether it's chlorine or copper silver or, or let's say, chlorine dioxide or monochloramine, um, is there any special, um, I guess, caution about drinking the water or anything like that? I mean... Um, um, the, all of these products are applied within Environmental Protection Agency drinking water regulation. Okay. So the, the residual that's maintained is below those drinking water standards. Okay. I've got a, a text comment, and I just, uh, I'm sure you would agree that when, when performing the high-temperature water flush, we've got to be really careful about elevated risk for scalding and, and things of that nature. Can you just comment on how you handle that? Um. It's a, it's a common comment with regard to heat and flush, and when, when we've done it in the past, you always post signs, you make sure that people are aware that this is going to be occurring, so certainly you make sure that you control that risk. One of the things that we, uh, in our experience, uh, did not observe was any scald incidents, uh, and, and to my knowledge, in relation to using uh, heat and flush as a remediation, there have been no reports of scald. But again, the the listener is correct. You want to take every precaution to protect the individuals. Now, you, you mentioned these different treatment options, and, and there's been some controversy lately, I guess, about which is best. Can you kind of give us a little little more information on your thoughts on that? Um, all of the disinfection technologies have their place. Uh, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. Uh, all of them have um, their their unique limitations and pros and cons. And so it depends on the system uh, which disinfection technology you would apply. The important thing is that when you're doing uh, an assessment for Legionella risk and you've applied a disinfectant, is you need to monitor both for Legionella and the disinfectant to make sure that Legionella is under control and that you're operating within the optimal uh, range for the disinfectant. So we always recommend you need to be vigilant about both. I, I've got one more great question that I wanted to ask before we start the roundup, and I want to thank the listener. Is there a greater risk for uh, the way, we, you know, we have now PECs and um, PVC piping as opposed to good old copper? Any difference in how uh, well they work with respect to biofilm and, and Legionella? 
Uh, actually, there is, and studies have been done comparing plumbing materials and the ability of Legionella and other bacteria to grow on them. Uh, while plastic pipe and PEX and PVC are easier to install and manage, uh, bacteria love to attach to and grow on plastics, and they like it better than copper. Uh, so you will have a greater microbial community, including Legionella, on some of these materials. So that needs to be watched carefully. Great question. Thank you. Let's go to Cliff, unless you want uh, another question, let's go to the Roundup. No, no, let's, let's do Roundup, John. Okay. We'll be right back with Dr. Janet Stout. We're going to go to our Roundup. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Okay, I got a cramp in my leg that just about killed me, Val. <laughs> anyway, let's go to Dr. Dietrich Weil. All right, hello, Dieter. Do we have you on the line? If I listened very carefully, and yes, I'm here. All right. Dr. Stout's got another 10 minutes here. She's got to run to another appointment. I'm, I know you had a question or a comment. Oh, I always have comments. Anyway, <laughs> good afternoon in Pittsburgh to, to Janet. Uh, I don't know. Did, did I meet you when you were a student at the Graduate School of Public Health? I don't know. Well, I, I taught there as a professor from... Oh, my, I got back there in 90... Well, I was associated with the Graduate School of Public Health from 1967 to 2000. Okay. Uh, I can't subtract that, but that's over 30 years or thereabouts. <laughs> and when you said, Doctor, did you mean Bob Yee? Yes, Robert Yee. Oh, good God, yeah, I know Bob for 40 years. And I know I was uh, in the Occupational Health Department, on the seventh floor at the time, and you were, I think, on the fourth or fifth floor. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, I know uh, quite a bit about what happened with the Legionnaire's disease, and I know when other microbiologists were developing plates on which they could culture it, and this one worked and this one didn't. But uh, to me, you know, I'm surrounded by millions and millions of bacteria in my house, which is messy, but not very dirty. <laughs> um, so it doesn't really bother me a lot. I know of a study which was done at the University of Pittsburgh, I think through the Graduate School of Public Health, when we took about, what, about a thousand, in round numbers, a thousand samples in the Graduate School of Public Health and School of Engineering across the street at the time in Children's Hospital, Presby, up at the field house when the field house was still existing, it's that long ago, and I and in the and the other hospital area, and I think out of a, a, a thousand samples, like 950 of them were uh, positive, which did not come as a surprise to me, because they are omnipresent, just like many other bacteria. So we have that one over there. I liked 
what you were saying, because I have been saying that for years, and that is the, the cooling towers. <clears throat> Joe and I, we are working together for almost 10 years, and we have seen a lot of cooling towers all over the country. <clears throat> and if I were a self-respecting uh, bacterium, there is one place I wouldn't want to be is in a cooling tower, because the people who are in charge of it, most of them, some of them may be neglected, they take care of the water <clears throat> and other problems. They don't really, they are not concerned about bacteria uh, in the water, but uh, uh, corrosion and foaming and stuff like that. So they add chemicals to the cooling water as it goes uh, through the cycle of what it is supposed to do, take away the heat from the inside of the house to the outside. So I don't think that there were a lot of uh, Legionella bacteria in the water, even 1976 in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, I'm glad you said that, because it has not been, quote, proven 100% that it was that. The only thing that I remember from 1976 is that many of those American uh, uh, Legion uh, uh, guys they went home and they were coughing, and I said, hey, I have a cough. And I said, hey, doc, I think I need a shot of penicillin, and uh, then it's going to be gone. Well, penicillin is not a good antibiotic uh, uh, to fight um, uh, Legionella bacteria. So that is uh, there over there. And we've been talking about drinking water. I have been warning the whole world for all 50 years, don't drink the water. It's as simple as that. I was just in Mexico. I didn't drink any water at all, but I got a lot of fluids in me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Stott, let me ask a quick question. On, on uh, sure. Would you focus more on the hot water system? I mean, again, we've got limited resources. Um, uh, it, give me a takeaway on the whole show. What would be your main emphasis with respect to how we handle Legionella? Um, the proportion of cases of Legionnaires' disease that are linked to cooling tower exposure is less than those that are linked to exposure to Legionella in water distribution systems. So, again, uh, while this new ASHRAE proposed standard 188, which is a Legionella hazard analysis uh, practice standard from ASHRAE, the American Society of Heating and Refrigeration Air Conditioning Engineers, while it was proposed in that, uh, deals with all buildings, uh, I would say the first priority is to protect hospitalized patients. Then you're looking at Legionella in the water distribution system of buildings, um, you know, even university buildings. The risk is going to be lower, but the, the proposed standard will say you need to uh, assess that risk and determine uh, what your next uh, step forward. So ASHRAE has recognized that there is a risk, and it hasn't been managed appropriately um, and in a consistent way, and this proposed standard uh, is, is intended to deal with that. And, and by the way, uh, today starts the third 45-day public review of that uh, ASHRAE standard, and you can click on that link on our website, which is specialpathogenslab.com. Specialpathogenslab.com. Okay. Cliff, do you have a final question? I do. Uh, doctor, how, if, if patients in hospitals are getting infected and those patients are too sick to take a shower, what is the route 
of it, what do you think the route of exposure is, and do you think it could be it, that ingesting it could you know could be infectious as well as inhalation? Yes, um, I'm glad you asked that question. There's a, a phenomenon that's very very common in people. It's called aspiration, and what that means is that the secretions in the upper airway travel down into the lung, and it can be overt, like a choking, like something goes down the wrong way, or it can be micro-aspiration, and you don't even know it's occurring. So Legionella, when water uh, with Legionella in it passes through the upper part of your, you know, airway, and uh, that secretion can get down into your lung. So it's either aerosolization, breathing in droplets, or aspiration, uh, what is in the upper airway gets down into the lung. Okay, and Dater, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. Did you have a final comment or question? Oh, we got him muted there, Val. Let's see if we got Dater back. Hello, Dater, sorry about that. Did you have a final comment or question? Yeah, there was uh, the, the, the one thing that um, I didn't quite get, uh, the correlation between amoebae and uh, bacteria now, amoebae can be very nasty, no doubt about it, and of course they're in the water also. Uh, are they together with um, uh, Legionella bacteria? Great follow-up. Thank you, dear. Dr. Stout? Uh, the answer is that uh, amoeba ingest bacteria, uh, and so it's protozoa, and oh, much yes. like the way Legionella survives in uh, our lungs inside pulmonary macrophages, Legionella multiplies and survives inside of amoeba. So some people have talked about it like the amoeba act like a Trojan horse and like oh, yeah, yeah. In, uh, inside them. So Legionella can be both extracellular and intracellular. Yeah, and uh, Joe mentioned it before. I think ozone, and I knew a, a water supplier, I think it was in South Carolina, they, quote, claimed, I didn't see the process, we ozonate our drinking water, and that is the stuff that goes into bottles where you pay extra at the uh, at the at the store. And uh, I think that is it, that is effective. And obviously, once it has bubbled through the water and killed bacteria and whatever else, uh, it's going to be gone. So there is no problem with ozone in the water that you then can inhale and you get. Uh, pulmonary problems due to the inhalation of ozone. So that may be useful. I don't know how good it is. I haven't really read up on that. But it will, I, I guarantee you it will kill bacteria. <laughs> well, let me, let me do this. I know Dr. Stout has to leave, and I want to make a quick comment. I've got a text here that says, on Wikipedia it says about 90% of cases of Legionnaire's disease are missed, that it's highly underreported. Would you agree? I would agree. And I know you've got to run. Is there anything you would like to add? And um, I agree with the listener that says, let's bring the doctor back again. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Anything you'd like to add before you go? I just want to say thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I'd love to come back again. Great. Perfect. All right. Well, we really appreciate having Dr. Janet Stout on the show today. And uh, if you want to check out more about the specialpathogens.com, I think I got that website right, Dr. Stout. Specialpathogenslab.com. Lab. I can't read my own writing. Specialpathogenslab.com. You can find more information there. 
This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Dr. Janet Stout. I want to thank the Z-Man, Cliff. Great show. Always my pleasure, Joe. Uh, of course, I want to thank our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, Roxy V, Val Bender, for uh, taking care of the controls. I took her last question, sure, but uh, we were running a little right. late. Uh, and I also want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us. Next Friday, we've got Dr. Ralph Moon. We're going to continue our coverage of... Uh, the follow-up to Hurricane Sandy, uh, Dr. Moon has been up there working hard. He's well-known in the IAQ industry, and we look forward to that interview next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio. IAQ Radio Production.